Hey everybody, welcome to Props and Hops. I'm Matt Landis, and in this week's episode, we'll work through the NFL Week 8 board through the lens of the best football gambling podcasts. We'll also talk some beer and break down some bets, so to kick it off, let's dive into what we're hearing. Loud noises! This week, I've listened to 11 of the most prominent bettors across 6 of the best NFL betting podcasts, and I'll distill that down from about 10 hours worth of listening to about half an hour of the most actionable takeaways, plus some original analysis. That'll take us to 6 or 7 bets across the point spread, teaser, team total, and prop markets, and the ultimate number of bets depends on one game that's currently off the board. In fact, as I record this Friday morning Pacific time, 3 games are off the board due to positive tests. That's par for the course this season, rolling with the uncertainty, so with that in mind, let's run through the Week 8 board. Starting with Indianapolis at Detroit, Colts laying 2.5 with extra vig or 3 with reduced vig, total of 50. And on the Sharp Angles podcast, T.A. said he likes the Colts laying 2.5. He notes Indianapolis comes in off its bye, likely getting key contributors back on both sides of the ball, linebacker Darius Leonard and wide receiver Michael Pittman. And T.A. also notes the Lions defense ranks 25th in pressure rate and Phillip Rivers, even in his age, is fine from a clean pocket. Meanwhile, the Lions offense, they faced the 6th easiest schedule of opposing pass defenses so far this season including the two worst in the league the last two weeks, the Jaguars and Falcons, so this represents a step up in class for the Lions. On the Simple Handicap, Adam Chernoff implied that he likes the Lions at plus three, and on the Even Money podcast, Steve Fezzik said he's using the Lions in a seven-point teaser, taking them up to plus ten and pairing them with the Eagles minus half a point. More on the Eagles number later, Fezzik got a good number on that one, but even at the current consensus point spread for the Eagles-Cowboys game on Sunday night, seven points is still good to cross down through three. Next game on the board, Minnesota at Green Bay. This one's currently off the board with the Vikings recently receiving a positive test result. Moving right along, New England at Buffalo, Bills laying four, total 41. We've got a little two-way action in this game. Three likes on the Patriots, those came from Drew on the Matchbook and Deep Dive podcasts, Matthew Holt on the Dream Preview, as well as Adam. Fezzik, the lone descent, liking the Bills. Drew's handicap for the Patriots, he says their season's on the line, they're going to pull out all the stops. Matthew Holt brought up a similar point on the Dream Preview, and Drew also sees this as a favorable matchup for the Patriots' rush game versus a bad Buffalo defense. Adam and Matthew Holt echoed that sentiment. Looking at Fezzik's handicap on the Bills, he got them at minus 3.5 as his best bet on the Dream Preview. That was a good number, and Fezzik says Buffalo's better than the score last week at the Jets would indicate. If the Bills had scored any touchdowns instead of settling for 8 field goal attempts, they would have covered that game, and Fezzik was also a alarmed by the Patriots' performance last week when they were in an ideal situation hosting the 49ers. Matthew Holt pressed the green button coming in against Fezzik, taking the Patriots at 3.5. That line's moved against him a bit, but he notes that while it was an ideal situation for the Patriots last week, that was a bad matchup against San Francisco. He sees this as an all-in situation and a better matchup against the Bills. Adam also implied he likes the Patriots because of a favorable matchup with their running game going into the soft Bills run defense. Up next, Tennessee at Cincinnati, Titans laying 6, total 52 or 52 and a half. We have two likes on the Titans, those came from Drew as well as Andy, his co-host on the Deep Dive podcast, one like on the Bengals, RJ Bell on the Dream Preview. Looking at Drew's breakdown of the Titans, he likes them up to minus 6.5. They're his best bet on the Matchbook podcast. And Drew sees this as a fade of Cincinnati. Their best defensive players are disgruntled. They just traded Carlos Dunlap. And for good measure, their offensive line is now dealing with cluster injuries. From a matchup standpoint, that could open up a good fit for Tennessee's subpar pass rush. And on the other side of the ball, a poor Bengals rush defense could be very favorable for the Titans' strong ground game. Andy made a similar handicap to Drew. He also noted that Joe Mixon's still injured, 
didn't practice Wednesday or Thursday. Looking at RJ's angle on the Bengals, he said last week Cleveland was minus three in the same spot at Cincinnati. That implies the Titans are three points better than the Browns, and to him that's too big a gap. And I'll push back a little bit on this point. The Browns closed minus four and a half at a lot of books last week. The Titans are better than the Browns, and the Bengals' offensive line is currently reeling after three starters were injured last week. Overall, I like the handicaps on Tennessee. See some blowout potential in this one. Next game on the board, Las Vegas at Cleveland. Browns laying 2.5 with some extra vig out there, total 50.5, and, and we've got some two-sided action on both the side and the total in this one. On the side, four betters backing the Raiders in some form. Rob Pizzola liking them on the money line, Suma also liking the Raiders on the Matchbook podcast, plus Drew liking the Raiders in the first half, and Adam liking them in a teaser. Two likes on the Browns, those came from RJ and Fezzik. On the total, we had one under, that came from Fezzik, and two likes on the over, Drew and Andy. Looking at the Raiders' side of things, Rob's breakdown on the Matchbook podcast taking the Raiders' money line, he says Baker Mayfield's averaging a lot of air yards per attempt, and with a very windy forecast, that could affect the Browns more than it should affect the Raiders. Adam made a similar point in his breakdown of the game, and Rob also added that Cleveland should be thin at wide receiver without Odo Beckham Jr. Suma made a similar point in his handicap, and Rob also notes on the other side of the ball, he expects Trent Brown to be back and the Raiders' offensive line to perform better than it did last week, Suma and Drew sharing that sentiment. So Suma had a similar handicap to Rob, and Drew likes the Raiders in the first half because he thinks their defense is thin, it wears down as the game goes on, plus they struggle to generate pressure on quarterbacks, they also struggle in pass coverage, that could mean they struggle to hold a lead late, he wants to isolate the Raiders for the first two quarters of this one. Adam, looking at the Raiders in a teaser, he mentions the Browns' poor rush defense, he likes the Raiders to capitalize on that matchup, and I think the Raiders might also have an advantage in the pass game here, if Miles Garrett is out or limited, he didn't practice Wednesday Thursday. On the other side of the ball, Adam notes Cleveland's rush offense has been struggling without Nick Chubb, and I like Adam's look at the Raiders in a teaser because the forecast has been suppressing the total in this one. It opened 55 and a half, it's been crashing down pretty much all week, and fewer points means we have relatively more value with each point that we get when teasing the underdog up through 3 and 7. There was some interest on the other side with RJ coming in on Cleveland, saying the Browns are better than the Raiders, and home field advantage still has to at least mean something. That makes this a short number in his opinion. Fezzik also on the Browns as his second best bet on the Dream Preview, and he took under 52.5 on the Even Money podcast as well. As far as the side goes, Fezzik mentions the look ahead was minus 3.5, so crossing through the 3 is an overreaction in his opinion due to the Beckham injury news. As far as the under goes, Fezzik got a good number at 52.5. He mentioned the wind, and Cleveland not having Beckham or Chubb could hinder their offense. That contradicts his bet on the Browns side a little bit, but under 52.5, a, a good number to have in pocket. Drew went the other way on the total, saying he likes over 52.5 on the Matchbook podcast, and that's in spite of the wind. This line, of course, has moved against him, but he thinks the Raiders have a poor defense, and the Browns looked okay at Cincinnati without Beckham, and he's sharing that sentiment, liking the over 51.5 at the time they recorded the Deep Dive podcast, and he sees this as an overreaction to the forecast. Even though the line's moving against him, he thinks the Raiders' defense can be shredded, and the Raiders' offense looking more aggressive this year, healthier offensive line this week, and he sees the Browns' defense as beatable, both passing and rushing. So there's a lot to digest with this one, but when it comes to actionable takeaways, I'm going to be looking at the Raiders in a teaser.
Up next, the Jets at Kansas City, Chiefs laying 19.5, total of 49. This is the biggest spread we've seen so far this season, not hearing any interest in laying it or taking the worst team in the league against the best team. But I am looking at a prop in this game, and that would be the no on the team scoring first to win the game. I'm seeing plus 200. I like it down to plus 180. And this is a long shot. It's going to be a small bet, but I see an edge here. The Jets won the coin toss last week and elected to receive. Most teams, including the Chiefs, choose to kick off when they win the coin toss, and those coin toss decisions typically aren't priced into these lines. That means we have a free roll here that the Jets get the ball first. Of course, even if the Jets do score first in this one, still seems like an awfully safe assumption, the Chiefs will win the game. Next game on the board, Rams at Miami. Rams laying three and a half, total 46. Four likes on the Dolphins here, Matthew Holt, Fezzik, RJ, and Adam. One like on the Rams, that came from TA, and on the Dream Preview, the consensus bet was the Dolphins. It's Matthew Holt's second best bet. He says the Rams, short week, physical game for Chicago on Monday Night Football, traveling across the country, that's a tough spot. And two attack of Aloha's first start, making all the headlines, but he expects Miami's ground game to gash the Rams' defense. Fezzik added to the analysis on the bad spot for the Rams, noting it's their fifth road game in seven weeks and their fourth trip to the East Coast. Also, the forecast calling for plenty of heat and humidity. The Rams could be really worn out throughout this game. As far as RJ's angle on the Dolphins, he thinks the Rams are overrated based on their 5-2 record. He's not impressed by any of their wins, saying they've all come against weak opposition. Adam implied a like on Miami against the spread or in a teaser. He also said the Rams are overrated, specifically looking at their defense and the weak opposing offenses the Rams have faced. We also had a couple leans on Miami, but no bet because of the wildcard element with this being Tagovailoa's first NFL start, and those leans came from Drew and Rob. They mentioned the spot kind of like Matthew Holt and Steve Fezzik touched on, Rams fifth road game in seven weeks, fourth trip to the East Coast, short week off Monday Night Football, and for good measure, Drew and Rob also accounting for the fact that the Dolphins coming in off the bye. TA with his angle on the Rams acknowledging the really bad scheduling spot, but he really likes the matchups here. He says the Rams offense has a really good ground game, they should take advantage against a poor Miami rush defense, and Jared Goff should have time when he drops back to pass, he's at his best without pressure. On the other side of the ball, the move to Tua is probably a big plus in the long run, but this week it's hard not to see him as a downgrade from Ryan Fitzpatrick. Up next, Pittsburgh at Baltimore. This looks like the marquee matchup of the weekend. Ravens laying four, total 46 and a half. And this might be the most time we spend breaking down any one game during the regular season. It's a compelling matchup with a lot of action on both sides. Five likes on Pittsburgh. Suma, Rob, Matthew Holt, Tommy the Hitman on the Dream Preview, as well as RJ. Three likes on Baltimore. Fezzik, Dave Essler on the Dream Preview, and TA. Starting with Suma's handicap on the Steelers, he points to recent performance, noting the Ravens' pass offense since week 3, number 26 in EPA per dropback, number 31 in success rate, and number 31 in completion percentage above expectation. Now, I highly respect Suma, but I'd counter his angle on recent performance with some recency bias. Pittsburgh's been very impressive the last two weeks, but their first four wins aren't that convincing in hindsight. More on that in a bit. Plus, the Ravens in their last game, the close score was misleading. They were more convincing at Philadelphia than the Steelers were hosting Philadelphia. I also wonder if Week 3 is an arbitrary starting point. I'm not sure if there were any fundamental changes to the Ravens' offense after they had their way in Weeks 1 and 2, and their first loss seems like a convenient starting point. Looking at the matchup, I think Zuma brought up some pretty good points. Pittsburgh has a stout defensive line and a vulnerable secondary, and he doesn't think Lamar Jackson and the Ravens' wide receivers can exploit Pittsburgh through the air. Meanwhile, that defensive line, a tall task for any ground game. Rob and Matthew Holt made similar points in their breakdowns. On the other side of the ball, Zuma notes the Ravens' defense is aggressive, but Big Ben can counter that with the fastest average time from snap to release since that metric first started being tracked in 2016. And the hitman adds to this point, Baltimore blitzing more than any other team in the league 
league, and Big Ben averaging 9.5 yards per attempt against the Blitz this season. Looking at Rob's angle on the Steelers, he says there might not be a home field advantage at all in the NFL this season, and I highly respect Rob, but I think that's taking a diminished home field advantage narrative with some truth to it and blowing it out of proportion. Rob did make a better point when he noted the handicap could come down to how you look at priors, more weight favoring the Ravens, less weight favoring the Steelers, but I do think we should still look at the schedule when accounting for Pittsburgh's performance this season. TA said the Steelers have had the second easiest schedule in the league according to Football Outsiders, and Esler made a similar point as well. I think it's important to shine some light on this. The Steelers, week one, played at the Giants. That's an easy opponent, and week one is the best time for a road game with travel making a minimal impact on game prep. Next four games for the Steelers, all at home and against mostly easy opposition, the Broncos, Texans, Eagles, and Browns. Those close wins over the Broncos, Texans, and Eagles not looking as impressive in hindsight, and Baltimore has faced a pretty similar schedule, but one significant difference, the Ravens have played the Chiefs, so their only loss has come to the best team in the NFL. On the Dream Preview, we had a major crossfire. Matthew Holt, the Hitman, and RJ all on the Steelers. Fezzik and Essler on the Ravens. Looking at the Steelers side of this crossfire, the Hitman likes Pittsburgh down to plus 3.5. He says Lamar Jackson has regressed as a passer this season, especially against the Blitz. And the Steelers are the second most Blitz-heavy team in the NFL this season. RJ said the Steelers have been the most dominant team in the NFL in 2020, and we'll get to why that's probably an overstatement in a little bit. Fezzik starting things on the Ravens side, saying from a Priors standpoint, he doesn't downgrade the Ravens for their performance thus far this season, and he does upgrade the Steelers, but the Ravens, still the clear better team and the clear better spot. Esler with a similar point, mentioning the preseason look-ahead line for this game was Ravens minus 8, and he doesn't think the gap between these two teams has closed by 4 points over the season's first 7 weeks. Continuing on with Hessler's handicap, the Ravens were minus 3.5 when he recorded his breakdown. There's a decent chance he still likes them at minus 4 for a reduced amount. Esler also noted Pittsburgh has a net negative yards per play the last three weeks. That indicates their winning streak could be unsustainable. TA also on the Ravens, and like Esler, he played this one at 3.5, but he might be okay with minus 4 for that reduced amount. He mentions the spot in this game. Steelers, second straight road game against a physical team after they were at Tennessee last week, and the Ravens coming in off their bye. TA also mentions the Pittsburgh offense has been effective with a dink and dunk scheme so far this season, but this is their biggest test yet against a secondary capable of good, tight man coverage. And lastly, TA notes the Steelers are overvalued based on their undefeated record. Based on Pythagorean numbers, this is a 4-2 and two team masquerading as a 6-no team, and if the Steelers were 4-2, there's a very good chance this line would be higher. So this is another game with a lot to digest on both sides, and after sorting through everything, I'm on the Ravens up to minus 4. Full transparency, I filled in a full ticket at minus 3 earlier this week, but I do like Baltimore up to minus 4 flat for a reduced amount. I know this is bucking consensus, but I'm okay with that in this case. I'm not interested in just the who or the what when it comes to these breakdowns, but the why, and I like the reasons for backing the Ravens. In addition to what we've already touched on, I think Lamar Jackson's health could be a big plus. Going back to week 5, he missed two practices, and then he only rushed twice in that game. Then in week six, he looked more like himself, excluding two kneel downs. He rushed seven times for 110 yards and a touchdown, plus the game-clinching first down. Off the bye week, he should only be healthier. Meanwhile, the Steelers, dealing with a health issue of their own, still adjusting to the absence of defensive play caller Devin Bush, and I think they're in for a bigger test than they were last week against the Titans. Drew brought up a really good point on the Matchbook podcast that containing the Titans' run game doesn't mean the Steelers will contain the Ravens' run game. These are different schemes, the Ravens bringing a lot more speed and deception to the table. At the end of the day, I think the Ravens are the better team, and if the spot means anything when we consider home field advantage, the Ravens being off their bye and the Steelers being on their second straight road game, looks to me like there's an edge with Baltimore.
Moving on to the late window Sunday, Chargers at Denver, and I bet you this one's going to be a quicker breakdown than Steelers-Ravens. It's currently off the board with players from both teams having tested positive in the past couple days, and hopefully they can get this game in because it's already been rescheduled once as part of that chain reaction from the Patriots outbreak a couple weeks ago. This line was Chargers minus three with extra vig. If it reopens at that same number, I like Denver. The Broncos had their prep disrupted on Friday, but the Chargers have been disrupted all week long. The Chargers announced their positive test on on Thursday, a day earlier than the Broncos, and then earlier in the week the Chargers were dealing with more fires in Southern California, Justin Herbert and other players and staff had to be evacuated. If this line reopens below 3, I'm looking at Denver in a 6-point teaser so long as we can cross up through 3-7. and seven. The total was 44.5, and that's pretty low. That, again, will increase the relative value of each point we get in taking the underdog up through the key numbers of 3-7, and seven. and for now we're in wait-and-see mode as far as Chargers-Broncos is concerned. Up next, New Orleans at Chicago, Saints laying 5, total 43.5, and and Drew like New Orleans on the deep dive. He got minus 4, so that's a good number, but the move to 5 isn't huge. He saw this as a good buy low spot on the Saints, with a windy forecast, not a concern for Drew Brees. His arm might be fading with age, but that low average depth of target makes Brees likely to be less affected by the conditions we could see in the windy city on Sunday. Next game on the board, San Francisco at Seattle. Seahawks laying three with reduced VIG, total 53.5. And And here's another game with a lot of two-way action. Five likes on the Seahawks, Rob, Zuma, Drew, Andy, and Matthew Holt. Two likes on the 49ers, Fezzik and RJ. On the Matchbook and Deep Dive podcast, there was a consensus in favor of Seattle. It was Rob's best bet on the Matchbook podcast. He sees this as an overreaction on San Francisco. They were plus three at New England last week, and this is about the same line at Seattle. Rob says the Seahawks by far better than the Patriots. Rob also notes the Seahawks defense is bad, but not that bad. They're 19th in EPA per play, and they have a top 10 rush defense. That plays well into San Francisco's strength on offense, being the ground game, favorable matchup here for the Seahawks. Drew touched on this as well. Rob also notes on the other side of the ball, the 49ers struggle to generate pressure and also struggle in coverage. Meanwhile, Seattle's pass game is loaded. That's another favorable matchup for the Seahawks. Drew touched on this as well. And Suma added to this point, saying the Seahawks have the number one early down pass rate in the league with a neutral game script. Speaking of Suma's handicap, this was also his best bet on the Matchbook podcast. The 49ers on offense, no Debo Samuel. That could really hinder their ability to match the Seahawks score for score. Drew and Matthew Holt touched on this too. Drew's angle on the Seahawks also includes that he's not downgrading them off that Sunday night football loss last weekend, and he thinks this is a tough spot for the 49ers, with it being their second straight road game involving cross-country travel after being in New England last week. Matthew Holt touched on this point as well. Andy gave a similar handicap to Drew, so that made it unanimous for the deep dive on the Seahawks. And when it came to Matthew Holt's take on the Seahawks, they were also his best bet on the Dream Preview. He says the 49ers' offense is average, the Seahawks' offense is elite. That makes the line of three short in his eyes. Fezzik and RJ both hit the green button on Matthew Holt, so they're on the 49ers. Fezzik said it's more a fate of Seattle. They have some wins over Atlanta, New England, and Dallas to start the season that look less impressive in hindsight than they did in the moment. And overall for the Seahawks, a lot of close wins and wins over bad teams doesn't bode well for them moving forward, in Fezzik's opinion. Looking at RJ's breakdown, he thinks the line of three overstates the gap between these two teams. And I don't have a dog in the fight at this number, but I do think it's worth noting if you're looking at the Seahawks, they played almost the full overtime at Arizona. Their defense was on the field for 81 snaps in that game and looked absolutely gassed by the end of it. And it's also a slightly short week for Seattle coming off Sunday night football.
Speaking of Sunday Night Football, Dallas at Philadelphia, if only the league could flex the Steelers and Ravens into primetime, but Cowboys-Eagles is what we get. Eagles laying 9.5, total 43. Adam implied a like on Dallas in this game, and it all comes down to numbers, not teams from his perspective. He thinks the Eagles don't deserve to be favored by this much over anyone right now. Fezzik's using the Eagles, minus half a point is the second leg of his 7-point teaser tied to Detroit. Again, he got a good number with the Eagles, but a 7-point teaser would still get them down through the 3. And on the Deep Dive podcast, The Secret Play, Eagles team total over 25. Currently, I'm seeing 26.5, and I think that's still okay since it comes below the key number of 27. The handicap from Drew and Andy on the deep dive, it's a nice way to fade the Dallas defense. They've been awful this season, and that was before they traded Everson Griffin away. And for the Eagles on offense, they might get some pieces back. That would be icing on the cake. Looking at Monday Night Football, Tampa Bay at the Giants. Currently off the board, the Giants dealing with a positive test. Alright, so the Monday night game's currently off the board, but good craft beer is always on the board here at Props and Hops. We're going to break down this week's bets in a moment, but first, we've made it through the Week 8 board, and that calls for a beer break. Let's dive into what we're drinking. Alright, so with this being Halloween weekend, we're going to break away from the hop-forward side of things for a change and take a spooky selection from the cellar, Ghost Proton Bourbon Barrel-Aged Imperial Stout by Bottlelogic Brewing in Anaheim, California. Ghost Proton clocks in at a massive 13.34% ABV, and the appearance jet black with a high viscosity that's apparent as you pour it into the glass. I'll post a photo on Instagram at Props and Hops. Looking at the aroma and flavor, Bottlelogic describes this as a s'more stout, and they deliver on that promise. You get a lot of great bourbon barrel character up front, along with some really good chocolate notes, and then graham cracker and marshmallow come through on the finish. Ghost Proton has a rich, velvety mouthfeel. Overall, it's an exceptional stout. Bottle Logic says it's best enjoyed with a ghost story around a crackling fire. I can't disagree, and this would be the appropriate weekend for it. And with another NFL Sunday on deck, it's also an appropriate weekend for some football wagering. Let's move on to what we're betting. 60% of the time, it works every time. And I'd like to begin this week's What We're Betting segment with a quick note to beware the vagaries. David Malinsky made this a consistent theme throughout his point-blank column, and those vagaries were on full display last Sunday. First off, looking at the Browns-Bengals game, we laid three with the Browns. That line closed minus four, so we got some good value there. Odell Beckham Jr. tears his ACL on the second play. Later in the game, we see Joe Burrow hit Terrence Mitchell right between the numbers. The only problem is Mitchell plays for the Browns. He dropped the ball. That was about the easiest possible interception. The Bengals get to keep possession, and they end up scoring a touchdown on that drive. Then the Browns score a touchdown late. The cover looks good until Cody Parkey misses a PAT. That's a frustrating result, but it does reinforce the value of getting a good number, with Browns minus three betters getting a push instead of a loss. We also had the Packers-Texans game over 56. That one landed 55, and shortly after dropping the episode, got news that Aaron Jones' status didn't look good. There was little doubt about his status until Friday afternoon. He didn't end up playing. On Sunday, Houston missed a 41-yard field goal. Then in the fourth quarter, down by 21. On back-to-back drives, they settled for field goals of less than 40 yards. And news to Romeo Cornell, you're not going to score enough to overcome a three-touchdown deficit in one quarter by taking chip-shot field goals over touchdowns. A few other games we didn't bet on on this podcast, but seem worth noting. Steelers-Titans 
over, that was a loss or push at best for most over betters. The game was sitting on 51 with the Steelers in the red zone. Then Big Ben threw an interception in the end zone. The Titans go down the other way. They have a field goal attempt to take the game to overtime to push the total over, and Steven Guskowski misses it. We'd also be remiss not to touch on Lions-Falcons. More heartbreak for Atlanta. Down by two with about a minute left. First and goal, no timeouts for Detroit. The Falcons simply can't let that game end any way other than a chip shot field goal at the buzzer, and of course, they let it get away. And to bookend the day, Seahawks-Cardinals on Sunday Night Football, that one might go down as a thriller, but it was probably agonizing to watch if you bet either side, one vagary after another on that one last Sunday night. I want to mention here this isn't to imply there were a bunch of bad beats last weekend. Both sides in each of these equations caught some good breaks during each game. But the larger point is to acknowledge our natural instinct whenever faced with an undesired outcome to point the finger at bad luck. In reality, the problem often isn't that bad luck happened, but that it wasn't anticipated. And we had a high-stakes example of that in DFS this past week. The NFL changed a sack to a running play after Monday Night Football, and there were multiple headlines in prominent places about how that cost a DFS contestant a $1 million prize. Lots of noise about that being a bad beat. And this reminds me of David Malinsky always trying to champion the distinction between a tough loss and a bad beat. If you had the rug pulled out from you on a million dollar prize, of course, that's a very tough break. But if we look at that play, it clearly wasn't a sack. The NFL got their grading right. So it's tough to see it as a bad beat when the correct stat grading was clearly applied. Bottom line, we need to anticipate vagaries. They come with the territory of betting on football. But the good news, we can often overcome them by putting small edges to work over time. And there's some edges to be had this weekend. Let's build out that Week 8 portfolio. Starting off with some sides, going to follow the leads of Drew and Andy and take the Titans minus six at Cincinnati. Tennessee, the healthier team, and the Titans have favorable matchups in play on both sides of the ball. I also like the Ravens minus four hosting the Steelers. I think recency bias is suppressing this line a good bit, and if the scheduling spot matters at all, that's another edge for Baltimore. And one pending side I'm looking at... Broncos plus three hosting the Chargers. The Chargers have had an extremely disrupted practice week. First, some evacuations due to fires earlier in the week, then a positive test to deal with. And if we can't get the Broncos at plus three, I like them as a teaser candidate. Speaking of teasers, I'm looking to pair the Raiders plus eight and a half at Cleveland with the Broncos going up through three and seven hosting the Chargers or with Detroit plus 9 hosting the Colts. As far as the Raiders side of the equation is concerned, I see matchup edges for them on offense, and on the other side of the ball, the Cleveland offense is beat up. When it comes to the Broncos, again, the Chargers having that more disruptive week of game preparation, plus in a teaser that low total, increasing the relative value of each point, crossing up through 3-7 and seven with the underdog. And with the Lions, it's a chance to put the math to work with some key numbers, and with the extra vig on some plus 3s we're seeing, we can neutralize that in a teaser, get a free half point essentially, taking Detroit up to plus 9. I do like Denver better than Detroit, so I'm going to wait to see if that Broncos-Chargers game reopens at a good number, and if we can't get the Broncos in a teaser, it's going to be the Raiders with the Lions for a slightly reduced amount. One team total in pocket as well this week, again following the leads of Drew and Andy. Eagles team total over, good up to 26.5 to get under that key number of 27, and this is a great way to fade the putrid Cowboys defense. A couple props in pocket as well this weekend. First one, Jets, Chiefs, First team to score not to win the game. I'm seeing this at plus 200. I like it down to plus 180. And this is a long shot, so it's going to be a small bet. But I like the element of a free roll with the Jets having a good chance to get the ball first. 
And last but not least, it wouldn't feel like an episode of Props and Hops without the shortest touchdown under one and a half yards prop. This week, gonna place that bet on the 49ers Seahawks game. I like it all the way up to minus 170. In San Francisco at Seattle, we've got the highest total on the week eight board. More points should mean more touchdowns, and more touchdowns increases the probability of one-yard touchdowns. When it comes to the specific matchups, the 49ers are really efficient in the run game. I think that gives them an especially good chance to punch it in from the one-yard line if they get the ball there. And with Russell Wilson, the Seahawks have a dual threat to score from the one either passing or rushing. Alright, so rapid-fire recap on this week's bets. The sides... Titans minus 6 at the Bengals, Ravens minus 4 hosting the Steelers, and if available, the Broncos plus 3 hosting the Chargers. If we can't get the Broncos plus 3, I do like them in a teaser, pairing them with the Raiders plus 8.5 at the Browns, and if we don't get a chance to play on the Broncos against the spread or in a teaser, I'd make this week's teaser play the Raiders plus 8.5 tied to the Lions plus 9 hosting the Colts. Also in the Eagles team total over 26.5, and a couple props, Jets Chiefs, no to the first team to score winning the game. 49ers Seahawks, shortest touchdown under one and a half yards. And to close the loop on some of the uncertainty around the Broncos, I'll post on Twitter if and when I play on them, as well as when I place a teaser involving the Raiders. When I do that, I'll confirm the final Week 8 Props and Hops portfolio. You can follow along on Twitter at mlandis18. And if this is tough to follow while you're listening to it, don't worry about it. I'll also post these bets in the show notes. And last but not least, before we close up shop for the week, the Malinsky Minute. This week's words of wisdom, the ability to hold two contradictory ideas in your mind at the same time without it driving you crazy is the mark of adulthood. These words came from Dave's favorite musician, Bruce Springsteen, when he appeared on Conan O'Brien's podcast this past week, promoting his new album, Letter to You. And I'd highly recommend that album, by the way. It's moving in every sense of the word, and it's Bruce Springsteen and the E Street Band at their best. Bruce gave an example of this quote reflecting on his music, saying it's both the most important thing in my life and it's only rock and roll. So to paraphrase this meaning, this ability allows you to reach as far as you possibly can while staying sane at the same time. And Bruce says that acknowledging conflict brings peace. I think there's a lot of wisdom in that. Betting, of course, a minuscule part of this equation in the grand scheme of things, but I do think it's applicable. I'm reminded of Dave's evaluation of the Rams in 2017. Heading into the season, the Rams were a laughingstock. They'd gone 13 straight seasons without a winning record. And yet, as I recall, Dave was already talking up the Rams by about week three on the House of Yards podcast we did that season. This was a really valuable lesson for me when it comes to the perils of one-way thinking. I pushed back on Dave as soon as he started talking up the Rams, and predictably, when somebody disagreed with Dave, he proved to be right. The Rams went 11-5 that season and won their first division title since 2003. A bigger betting takeaway, one-sided thinking won't take us far when we're laying 11-10. to 10. Sustaining, or better yet, growing our bankrolls takes open-mindedness and some healthy conflict. And of course, this applies much more broadly across the rest of life. As a quick personal example, I constantly work on becoming the best person I can be, and I think I deserve the best life partner I can find, but I often find myself still thinking, my wife's way out of my league. Admittedly, this is the best kind of conflict I can imagine, and I'd wish it on anybody, but it still represents contradictory thoughts to hold simultaneously. It's not necessarily about one good thought and one bad thought. There's some nuance to this, and overall, the greats in any field embrace nuance. Dave was a master of this, Bruce Springsteen still embodies it, and I think we'll all be better off if we do our best to embody it as well. Alright, that'll do it for this week's episode of Props and Hops. Thank you so much for listening. If you found any value in this episode, please share it with a friend who could benefit as well. Now let's get out there and enjoy week 8. Have a safe and happy Halloween. We'll be back at it next Friday for week 9. And until then, let's bet well, let's drink well, and let's be well.